The Rundown with Jess, a podcast for the culture. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What's up, world? And welcome to another episode of The Rundown with Jess. I am joined again by the lovely Brittany Taylor, who is now my co-host. <laughs> I talked her into being my co-host. Uh, what what you got to say, Brittany? I was gonna say, and I'm gonna take a cute picture like you. Oh my god! And then that I can burn. I need a professional picture, like, <laughs> huh? My profe- my professional picture does not fit the vibe. Okay, as a co-host. Okay, well you take you take. I like your picture, but if you want to take another one, <laughs> you, you take you another picture then. <laughs> So, like, you know, I want to start off asking, how you doing today? How was your weekend? Weekend was amazing. Mm-hmm. Weekend was amazing. I got to spend a really, really, really good time with my family. Yeah. Um, I have another test for another licensure lined up, so I'm really excited about that. Awesome. Nervous to study. And then today, I made a huge effort mm-hmm. to do some work yesterday. Okay. So my Monday could be relaxed and I got to get five miles in. I meditated. Yes. I just feel so amazing. And then I saw the stuff yeah. about our slain brother in yeah. the street before we got on here. So I'm a little bit of mixed emotions. Yeah. I hear all the spectrums. What about you? Uh, let's see. I think Saturday I pretty much rested. Um, I always do cardio kickboxing Saturday morning. So I did that class. And then I, th- I came home and I just... I think I pretty much relaxed for most of the day. And then I went to my sister's house yesterday for my nephew's birthday. So I was over there until like almost nine o'clock. Knowing, you know, you got a bedtime. You still have, <laughs> here in the streets, like you ain't got to go to work the next morning. So, you know, we got older. We don't last like we used to. So it's like, you know, bedtime's at eight o'clock. But um, I enjoy myself. Um, he's so cute. He's growing so fast. I can't believe his, he's a year old already. So um, it's just, it's just kind of cool to watch kids grow up and you watch them hit all these milestones and he was just crawling he wasn't walking and now you, you know you're running around the house like you run the place you know yep. you're paying the bills and stuff like that so <laughs> that's how they do yeah but do. overall it was a great weekend like you today was going really well and it's still it's still a good day but um just seeing the um the news about um let me make i get our brother's name right is yeah. it joseph no jacob yeah Black. Jacob Black, yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to get his name wrong, but um, <clears throat> just um, seeing that, um, and it kind of ties into, um, we just jump right into it. That kind of ties into what we're going to talk about today, as far as generational trauma. And I wanted to, I looked it up because I wanted to give like a good definition for just in case someone doesn't know what it means, but. Um, I'm not going to say it's self-explanatory because some people may really not know what generational trauma is, but it's basically um, an accumulation of neural network in the brain that are established by patterns and behavior and hormones. It can be difficult to heal, and the more ingrained it becomes in family systems, the harder the chains are to break. And transgenerational trauma or intergenerational trauma is a psychological term which asserts that trauma can be transferred in between generations. Um, I think for me, like when I was like researching generational trauma and stuff, 
it kind of goes back to like even here recently, even when we see issues or stories of police brutality and people bring up slavery and people say, well, you know, um, slavery happened over 400 years ago. You know, why are you talking about slavery? Okay. And then you guys want to talk about people looting, people burning cars, all this other stuff. People are angry. So let's not just address the symptoms. Let's go back to the root. Let's go all the way back to slavery because you had these families, these black families who husbands were pulled from the wives, kids were pulled from the mother's arms. So now you've broken up our family system. And then we get past slavery. Then we get into after, you know, after slavery was abolished. Now we're in the 40s, 50s, whatever the case may be. Now we still we went from being enslaved to now you guys have badges to make it legal for you to kill us. So now we're seeing our black brothers and sisters lynched, hanging on trees. I'm going to make an example out of you. Don't do this. I'm going to hang you. So now I spent my, my, uh, I guess past generations experienced slavery. Now these newer generations, they're experienced lynching. So now, mm-hmm. okay, now you're lynching me. So then we move, try to move past that. You're going to keep me from getting jobs. You're going to keep me going from going to good schools. So if I can't get a job, what am I going to do? I'm going to go rob. I'm going to go steal. And if I can't pay my bills, I need something to comfort me. So let me go get some drugs. Let me go get some alcohol. Let me go get something that's going to soothe the pain. And now that I'm doing now that I'm doing this and I'm taking in this substance abuse, now I'm angry. So now that I, if I am married or if I have a wife and kids, now I'm beating my wife and kids. Because first, I can't get a job. I'm losing that on opportunities. I'm getting blocked from opportunities and I'm trying to cope with my pain with this substance abuse. So now we're here today having experienced all this generational trauma and people want to sweep it under the rug. So we're going to address the whole thing. Let's not address the symptoms. Let's really get back to the root. What do you have? You said so many good things. Okay, so first... (laughs) The neural pathway from the definition of trauma, that is what we call epigenetics. Epigenetics literally changes. You experience like a trauma. It could be unexpected, like let's say Katrina, right? Or it could be slavery. And it literally changes your DNA and then changes the DNA that you pass on. So think about Black people as it relates to slavery, right? Our DNA was forever changed at that moment. I don't care if it was 400 years ago. That DNA of my ancestors and their anxieties and their fears still live within me. Who knows what DNA or what genetics it turned off or on? Mm -hmm. Whether it be deductive reasoning, whether it be us being constantly emotionally heightened Mm -hmm. with higher fear, Right. Because we're trying to always protect ourselves and we don't know if he's going to beat us today, rape us today, Mm -hmm. hang us today, shoot us today. Right. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter. It was 400 years ago. Our DNA literally changed to adapt to our environment. Mm -hmm. The problem that's not getting addressed is exactly everything you're talking about. And the new word for that is epigenetics. There's studies on that, but nobody wants to bring that to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And you brought up the drug use. Huge, right? Because, you know, as a, I don't want to say society, really. I just want to talk about us. Mm-hmm. As a race, we are emotionally heightened. And if we were never taught how to deal with those emotions or identify those emotions, of course, I'm going to use to cope. Mm-hmm. And then even with real estate back in the day, they drew yeah. red lines on where we could not move. So we're 
had to stay in this one place, which now they want to come by and gentrify, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right. We got to stay within this one space around each other. We're emotionally high and we lack skills. The first black woman to integrate schools is still alive and has an Instagram. <laughs> so <laughs> Ruby, isn't her name Ruby? Ruby Davis. Yes. She has an Instagram. Like this is <laughs> out here. Okay. So it was not that long ago. Yeah. So of course we're fearful. And then I found out from someone at work whose husband is a police officer that they live in like a section eight income-based housing because they will purposely pay for police officers to live in neighborhoods that they want to police. And I just found this out like a week ago. Wow. They pay for them to stay there so he can police the neighborhood. Out here in the suburbs where I live, I don't know if anybody paying the police officer to live in this $300,000, $400,000 house to police my neighborhood. Wow. This was just last week. And so I'm sitting on the other end like, oh, interesting. Um, But yeah, all those things you said, I wanted to make sure I brought that up. That is insane. I've never heard of such. (laughs) Who does that? Where the police officers, uh, uh, well, not academy, but the whole organization, apparently. Like, who does that? Yeah, I had no idea until she said that. I was like, what? What? So, yeah, the police um, department is paying for them to stay there so they can have police presence, was the word that she used, um, in income-based neighborhoods. And, of course, he's white. Hmm, of course. And that's another thing. And I don't know if we I don't think we touched on it on the last episode, but, you know, how they do place police officers who don't look like us in majority black neighborhood. So if you never grew up around drug issues or and and that's not to say like non-black police officers haven't grown up around that. But if you don't know how to handle the environment of black Mm -hmm. people and they send you into that area to police that area, if something pops off, your first instinct probably is to shoot because you're not used to that environment. Why not Why not, Why not? not put someone there who maybe have grew up in that type of situation or that type of environment and let them police the area because they can be a report with mm-hmm. um, the citizens in that area instead of sending in someone who's never experienced anything like that because they probably are already fearful. It's like Megan Thee Stallion said, right? When she yeah. got shot in the foot, I'm, of course, you know, I'm up on all the shade room. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, the reason why when the police, they had a helicopter flying over them, she didn't tell the police officers that Tori shot her in the foot because she didn't want him to get killed behind it. Because mm-hmm. she was like, I'm black. These are white police officers that showed up. They're going to kill me. So, no, I didn't say I got shot in the foot because then I'm going to tell them what we got a gun in the car. So then we all can be dead. Mm-hmm. That's how we think. That's how our DNA is conditioned. We yeah. cannot trust them. Yeah. So, of course, I'm going to turn my back or run away. Because I'm like, do I stay here and get killed or do I try to run and be safe? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. you never, you, we never know quite how to react. Yeah. And they're not educated on that either. Yeah. The cultural sensitivity is lacking as a whole. And even in my field, it's lacking, which you have a question about that. And I'll get there. Remind me to double back and tell a story about a counselor and my old job saying that now we have Kamala Harris. Okay. Okay. I'm a, let, let, me, let, me, let me make sure I make a note of that. <laughs> I'm right. I'm right. Um, name down. <laughs> I 
Um, I was um, listening to something earlier today, and I said it made so much sense how they were talking about how um, trauma affects your mind. And basically, it attacks the amygdala. Basically, I think it may be the, I don't know if it's the front part of your brain, what part of the brain it is, I can't remember. But basically, that's when you see everything as negative, when you're afraid. And then people may say you're paranoid when actually you are really fearful. You're not paranoid. You're really fearful. And that causes anxiety and all this other stuff. Um, And they were saying when you deal with it long enough and it hijacks the brain, it causes your brain to remember things like how something sounds or how something smells. And when you take, um, it will take you right back to that spot. So those young boys who were in that car when the police shot their dad, when they get older, Something may trigger, it could be the smallest thing, the sound of something that's going to trigger them back to that moment. And -hmm. like the person, what I was listening to today, they was like, you can be out of that situation, but the smallest thing will make you trigger. Bring it back. Bring it all back to you. Um, Let's see. They they, they made uh, so many good points. Um, And they were saying like, it's not what's going on at that moment, but what, what is going on has triggered something that went on. When people flip out, others don't understand why. And it may not be the situation, but something the situation has triggered. So if you have kids who have experienced gun violence or something like that, and, you know, teachers are quick to say, oh, that child has ADHD or they have some type of condition. Well, you know, it probably is not ADHD. It could very well be trauma. Trauma looks like ADHD coming out in the body. And I teach that a lot to my addiction groups, right? Because I am a child that grew up with a lot of trauma and they thought I was ADHD. I couldn't really sit still. I talked a lot. I was all over the place, but that was trauma. Our body keeps score. Trauma lives in our body Mm -hmm. and it comes out like ADHD. Anxiety in children also presents like ADHD. That's why I don't always agree with that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But you said something that made me, oh, yes, your decision maker goes offline. Mm-hmm. That's what that's how I teach it. So if you look at a brain with trauma and a brain without it, there's a lot of black spots in the trauma brain versus the completely healed brain who hasn't experienced any adverse events. Right. It's lighting up. It's blue. It's pretty. OK, so literally kids or adults who have experienced trauma their window between the event that happens, what they think about the event and how they react is very small. So think about our brother Jacob that just got gunned down. What trauma did he experience, Mm -hmm. right? That made his reaction window very small. He didn't have time to respond. He was like, I got to get me and my kids out of here before we get killed. Mm -hmm. That probably was his thought. Mm -hmm. But people are going to think that when they see the video. Yeah. He should have been compliant. He shouldn't have walked away. But if your decision maker is offline, you go into fight or flight. Yep. He was he was ready to flight to save himself and his kids. Yep. I can't blame anybody for that. Yeah. And to your other point, I was going to talk about the trauma risk factors. You think this is a good time to kind of bring that up? Oh, yeah, go ahead. So basically with trauma, it's any unexpected distressing event, right? So it could be COVID, Katrina, any unexpected loss, physical, emotional, sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and the emotional and physical symptoms can continue for years, mm-hmm. right? So those kids grow up to be adults mm-hmm. that parent through their trauma. Mm-hmm. 
and then you pass that down and so forth and so on. So the trauma risk factors that I wrote down was one, any unexpected experience, any past history of trauma. I'm going to use our brother Jacob through this whole thing. Who knows what his past history of trauma was, right? And he's a black man. So we know all we need to know just off of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Any experience that happened repeatedly or prolonged. Mm -hmm. So repeatedly getting beaten as a child, going to go pick our switch, right? Mm -hmm. That's trauma or sexual trauma. If it happened repeatedly or for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Or even let's think about financial trauma, Mm -hmm. right? Family, you know, my husband, I hope he is okay with me sharing this. He grew up in poverty. He was a family of six or a kid of six, but family of eight. And his parents couldn't really afford it. So they experienced a lot of financial trauma, losing houses, cars. You know, his dad died early. So that financial trauma happened repeatedly and for a prolonged period of time, which then affected how he viewed his role as a provider, right? So that's one. And then if it occurred during childhood, okay, and how that was acknowledged, feeling helpless during that experience. So think about all those people that were around Jacob when he got killed. Mm-hmm. Look at that secondary trauma that happened. And then dealing with major stressors outside of the traumatic event. So everybody that watched him get shot seven times in the back, it, what they were experiencing, okay, the trauma of COVID. What if they just had somebody die? What if they have financial stress, work stress, they lost their job, and then they just witness this? Mm-hmm. The brain will shut down to protect itself. Mm-hmm. Everybody is about to be affected by one police officer's poor decision. So that's another way we just keep generational trauma going. It's like we can't even heal. Because it's always something. It's always something. Always. That Black Lives Matter painting in the street was real cute. Yeah, because they, 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 in their heads, it's probably, it's a joke because they're like, you painting this or you holding these signs, it's not going to stop us from doing what we want to do. We're still going to do it. Like for that officer to hold his shirt and for you to shoot him mercilessly like that. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't even care if he had, you probably, maybe you didn't know he had kids in the car, but the fact that you didn't even think about that that his kids were in that car and they not only to see my dad get shot, though that shot going off over and oh seven times. I'm hearing this gunshot and it's loud. I'm right there as a child to have to hear that and see that. You like these officers, they don't, I'm not gonna say they all that I'm not saying all the ones who think the way that, that this officer thought mm-hmm. or carry themselves the way this officer carries himself. You don't care. Yes. And I heard the sound of his body hitting the horn. And the horn went out for a prolonged period of time. I'm just thinking about, like, uh, it give me it gives me chills. Because I'm like, when his kids hear a, a oh. horn. It's going to trigger. When my dad was killed. I was like, oh, my God. We have three young black boys in the car, Jesus. Yeah. You want them to heal and be well, but are we designed in a system where we can heal? Mm -hmm. Trauma happens to everybody, no matter what race, right? We've all experienced it. And a lot of my trauma did not come from racial events. Mm -hmm. It came from my parents doing the best they could with their own traumas that they brought to the table. Mm -hmm. 
and they parent me through that. And as a result, I had a lot of stuff that I had to work through in my own therapy and it wasn't even related to race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The racial things we had to go through just adds on top of everything else. Whereas someone who is white may experience trauma, but at least they can focus on this event. Mm -hmm. And they can find more therapists that look like them. Yeah. Or getting help or getting psychiatric medication is more normalized in their culture. Mm -hmm. They don't have to, you know, worry about their husbands getting gunned down in the street. There's just so many levels of trauma that we face in the Black community that we really have to rally together to advocate for ourselves because trauma isn't our fault. But once we know that we have it, it's our responsibility. Yep. Yep. Cause I want, I want to bring, I had something, I'm glad you thought about how like um, trauma affects the body because what the video I was listening to today was saying how, like, I guess, um, let's see, when you get in a flight or fight response, your, the blood flow is going towards that. So the rest of your body isn't getting the blood flow that it needs. So then you end up with issues like IBS, fertility issues, digestive tract issues, like, you know, a weakened immune system, cardiovascular uh, diseases and stuff like that. Not say that that by itself can cause those things, but it's a big factor in it Mm because you're not getting that blood flow to all these different areas because you're so in this fight or flight response all the time. So they were, they were just basically saying how when some people go to the doctors, the doctor can't pinpoint how you you look healthy. You don't look like you're supposed to be sick. Why are you dealing with this health issue? Because it's that underlying stress that hasn't been dealt with or this underlying trauma that I'm having to constantly see all the time. So now I'm having health issues that I shouldn't even be having. Mm-hmm. Weight gain, lack of sleep, mm-hmm. just so many things. And of course, some doctors, we have a habit of not going to go see the right doctors, mm-hmm. right? We we have all these things going on. Like you said, the IBS, mm-hmm. trauma and anxiety is directly linked to your gut. Mm-hmm. And then you also store trauma in your hips. Mm-hmm. And then we think about it, the number one killer of Black women is heart disease. Well, um, in Chinese medicine, they believe that's where we store anger and grief our kids that were taken from us our husbands who couldn't save us while we were being worked by whoever right um and that's taking us out that's why we hold on away that cortisol hormone that we can't seem to get rid of because we're always on high alert and mm-hmm. feel like we have to take care of everybody and save everybody mm-hmm. and with you so saying that go- oh sorry are you done no, go ahead. oh no sorry uh i'm gonna share a personal story i wasn't sure if i wanted to share but i feel like it would help someone else and that goes back to me saying like we all have been through things and when we don't share our stories like we we we're probably preventing the freedom of someone else to be free to speak up for themselves so it's just like you know with Megan Thee Stallion how she was trying to protect Tory Lanez because she didn't want him to die or get in trouble so um I, when I was listening to the video, they made me think about my own situation how uh it was TDJ I was listening to but he was saying how when we don't um, deal with uh, where depression pretty much comes from anger turned inside because we don't we don't express ourselves or we keep stuff held in so in college um, I was raped by this guy right so he I woke up to this guy having like I had literally passed out and I woke up to him having sex with me passed out 
Oh and my God. he, I, and then for a while, I kept asking him, it was like, you know, did you have sex? I was passed down. He kept denying, 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 denying. And then he finally was like, it was really, it was so disrespectful. He was finally like, you know, you better be glad I didn't call my homeboys over to run a train on you. So, you know, just having to carry that. I carried that for years and I held like so much anger towards this guy. Like, Mm-hmm. anger and I was like you know I, you know we've all been through stuff like childhood all the other stuff but I feel like for me that was probably the turning point of when I started getting depressed because you know you already feel you, if you having low self-esteem issues already and for a guy to be disrespectful to violate your body and then to say those words to you like that cut deep and I held so much anger and pain from that in ye for years or whatever but um yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of shame too, because we tend to yeah. do that when we're abused. Yeah. We hold shame, but that's not our shame. That's their shame. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we take it and beat ourselves up with it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I feel like for anybody, and I, I didn't, I never, uh, I never reported it because he was on a football team. So it's like, oh, you know, I don't want him to lose his scholarship. I don't want him to get in trouble because then, you know, then it's like, oh, well, what did you have on? What were you? What were you doing? Why did he do that to you? So then it's like, you know, I already feel ashamed. I don't want to have to feel even more ashamed because then it's like, oh, now my name is going to be in everyone's mouth on campus. So let me keep this to myself, you know? But um, I would just say to anybody out there, like, don't hold that in because mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't deal with it now, you're going to deal with it in another form. And you don't want to deal with it in a form of depression because depression is a different de- beast to try to fight like a whole different beast. So if you can deal with it, you might not want to tell whatever the trauma is that you may be going through. Like you might not want to share or talk to anybody about, but you have to, like I said, if you don't deal with it now, it's going to show up in a different form later. Mm-hmm. And, and it may be worse. It, Cause it keeps us sick. Mm-hmm. Our secrets keep us sick. Yeah. And we, Oh my God. Like even like you, Megan, keeping secrets, holding the shame of others Mm -hmm. that is such a trait that came from slavery Mm -hmm. it did black women carried so much and they knew that they could not be protected by black men then like they literally couldn't the black men would get killed for protecting them and i feel like that fast forward has affected our generation not just our generations before us but i think we're just now calling it out yeah. How black men don't protect us, but we are constantly protecting them. Yeah. And we carry the shame. We carry the weight. Back when we were slaves, we breastfed the white kids. We did everything for everybody and we suffered. Yeah. Trying to save everybody while we suffocate ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah, no problem. Like I like I said, I've been I I was struggle with wanting to share about, like, no, like, that'll help someone. Like, I don't know who, but, you know, just help them, like, to stand on their truth and to speak up for themselves. Like I said, I don't want anybody to be like me and carry that for years. Like, that was a long time for me. I think I didn't really get over it until, like, maybe four or five years ago. So from college up until four or five years ago, I carried this hurt and this pain, like, anger. Like, you know, and that was during the time I lost my dad. I lost my grandmother two years apart. So I'm already hurting from that. And now I'm piling this on there. So I'm walking around like literally this ticking time. Like I'm angry. Yeah. Angry and hurt. 
But um, like I said, I'll just tell anybody, like, share your story, talk to somebody, like, don't hold it in. Because it's not, like you said, it's not your shame to carry. It's the other person. So um, I have some questions for you today. <laughs> uh, let's see. I think we, I don't know if we touched on this a little bit already, but um, in the field of psychology, how can prolonged trauma affect a person's mental health? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> In so many different ways, right? Because that's a loaded question, but I'm going to try to simplify it. But it's a good loaded question because trauma is usually the backbone of most mental health symptoms. Mm-hmm. And it affects how we can regulate, how we trust, how we heal, our depression, our anxiety, our connections with others. Mm-hmm. It basically, I feel like it's individualized. Like you and I experience trauma, but the way we um internalized it was different right so for me as an example my trauma did not hit a full head like I was functioning right because I'm I'm Brittany I'm bubbly I'm outgoing half the stuff I went through nobody would have known mm-hmm. right because I'm just gonna I'm a good mask wearer right <laughs> I, I I wear a pretty darn fine mask and I hide through my you know or I hide in my extrovertedness mm-hmm. but I would suffer. There was time that I couldn't even sit in my house or anywhere by myself without being highly anxious. That's how I manifested my trauma. Constantly on alert, constantly defensive, fighting, aggression. And then it didn't come to a head until I had my daughter. And she was fine one moment. And then she went to go see the pediatrician. She never came back from the nursery. Then the next time we saw her, she had tubes down her throat. Mm-hmm. she her intestines were swollen and she was choking so she had to be transported to the NICU this is my firstborn child I didn't expect to not go home without my baby mm-hmm. so that trauma was like the straw that broke the camel's back but then when she finally I did okay I did moderate you know I cried every day but I thought I was doing okay but then fast forward eight weeks later my best friend one of my best friends Jasmine suddenly passed away so I got a sudden grief loss. I got feeling helplessness um, with my daughter being in the NICU. And those two together ignited mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. that I had felt for years throughout my childhood. Feeling helpless, feeling out of control, not feeling safe. Things aren't predictable. People die. Bad things happen. And that's thing I know I'm having panic attacks every day. I'm at home with a newborn baby having panic attacks and nobody knew it, right? Nobody was around. My husband still had to go to work. So for me, my trauma manifested for years and it just took that one event to send me over the edge to where I was having constant panic attacks. Whereas somebody else, right? Because this is our window of safety. Most people have a, a, a good window of safety. People who are listening on audio can't see my hands, but that's okay. <laughs> Let's say a scale of one to 10, right? <laughs> one being completely low, depression, suicidal thoughts. I'm in the gutter, right? Four being, mm, I feel pretty safe. And then seven being, okay, four to seven is our window of safety. I'm not too down, but I'm not too high. So for me, my trauma kept me at a seven or above. I was constantly heightened, anxious, angry, fearful versus somebody who might be on the other end of the window of safety. They might be constantly depressed Mm -hmm. or can't get out of bed. They don't want to open up the blinds. So trauma gets you on either 
um, side of the scale when it comes to the window of safety. You're either highly fearful, anxious, angry, or typically depressed and beating yourself up. Okay. So my grounding skills bring me back down to my window of safety, whereas somebody else who experienced trauma might need skills to bring them back up into their window of safety. Mm-hmm. Does all those words make sense? No, no, it makes perfect okay. sense. Okay. <laughs> no, I get it. It makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> Hopefully it makes perfect sense to everybody out there. <laughs> if not, slide into my DM. Slide into our DM. <laughs> <laughs> um, how can mental health professionals understand generational trauma? Education. Mm. Just like you and I, like you were saying, you were listening to um, T.D. Jakes. Mm. Just like before I got on here, I was making sure I'm brushed up on things. Like counselors should be getting continued education. A license requires it. But some people only get continued education in like, oh, group skills or ethics. But nobody's going out and getting those microaggression trauma or microaggression in the workplace, CEUs, continued education credits. Nobody's getting, um, everybody's getting the LGBTQ. That's the that's the new hype mm-hmm. with training in my field. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean hype as in we don't need to be educated on LGBTQ because we probably need to get a speaker to talk about the trauma that they experience. Right, right. But that's kind of the new way that I'm seeing in the counseling field. We skip right over Black people and we're like, oh, LGBT, <laughs> LGBTQ because that's, their white kids deal with that. So we're going to normalize it, right? Um, or adolescents, but nobody's getting that black experience training. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's what most counselors need. And my recent job is also starting like a task force. Because once I quit that job a couple of months ago, there's only one black counselor now in inpatient. Mm -hmm. The whole leadership hallway is white. And one of my things on my exit interview was the lack of diversity and the lack of training. You're going to train us on LGBTQ, which, yes, as counselors, we should be informed. As a counselor, I need to know what that community goes through because I'm not a part of that community. But how did we just skip over why we had a Black patient not too long ago saying he didn't feel safe and y'all didn't understand why? Mm. Because there was nobody there that looks like him. So we need to do both. And let's not think about, you know, like... Don't forget about our black brothers and sisters who are also part of the gay community or the queer community. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother level of trauma that I don't even know about. Yeah. Yeah. So education is huge. If you want to do better, learning is a lifelong thing. Mm-hmm. If I want to be a better counselor, a better wife, a better mother, a better friend, I have to do my research, not only about myself and be aware of my own biases, but I have to learn about other people and be willing and be open. Right, right. That's so good. I feel like I'm turned up on this call. I think it's because I feel like I'm like, hey. <laughs> Ready to go in. <laughs> um, what are some steps individuals or families can take to heal from generational trauma? I know it's not something that's gonna happen over, overnight, but um, small steps. Like, what are some steps that, small steps that, you know, individuals or families can take? One is talking about it, right? Because we heal when we talk about it. Um, Allow yourself to feel it. Mm -hmm. And if you're a family member or a friend, allow allow yourself to hear it. Okay. Um, Because 
one thing that happened to me, I remember my mom saying to me, it happened at 15. It was like one a bit traumatic event for me. And I think I was 30 when I kind of, or not even 30, I think it was a little bit younger, but it had been about 15 years when I had like an outburst about it. She was like, that was 15 years ago. Like, you need to get over that. Like, we have moved on. Mm-hmm. We can't be dismissive. Yeah. Their perception is their reality. Mm-hmm. And we have to be willing to hear. So we need to talk about it. We need to feel it. And we need to be able to hear it. Okay. And acknowledge it. Regardless if that was your reality or not, that is that person's reality. And they're living in their own hell because of it. Mm-hmm. That that made so. Um, I know someone. Um, it's like a, it's a relative, but it's like you know you don't want to be. Um, I guess disrespectful is the word I want to use because um, this person has um, outbursts, and for a while, like people were like, you know, we're all wondering like, why is this person having outbursts? Like, like literally out of nowhere, they'll be fine one second and just have outbursts. I don't know, but they function normally. Like, act like a normal person, talk like no, but it's like something, it's, I don't know if it, it's some type of generate, it's some type of trauma. I don't know what it is, but the, it was the smallest thing would trigger them to have this outburst. But, you know, growing up back in the 50s, 60s or whatever, you know, they didn't believe in medication. They didn't believe in going, getting help and stuff like that. So um, I was kind of... Um, I guess disappointed is the word I would say in this person. And I was having to talk to someone about it one day. And I was like, well, Jessica, have you ever stopped to think maybe this person has experienced some type of trauma and is being expressed in these outbursts, but they never got help for it. So now they're comfortable doing this. So it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, you, you know, I want to ask the person, you know, what, have you, what did you experience when you were younger for you to have these outbursts like that? But, you know, at the same time, you don't want to trigger, you don't want to trigger anything in that person either. Yeah. So how would you go about if someone like else may be experiencing it? Like, how would you um, suggest that they go about asking that person, you know, about their past history about, you know, it triggering or sending them off? So I know for for you, you're definitely going to ask it in the way that I'm going to suggest because you're <laughs> a common person. Yeah. So I'm just for me and my family, we're a little rough around the edges. <laughs> yeah. So I'd be like, girl, like what you what that happened to you? Like, yeah. You don't want to address it like that. <laughs> but you want to be <laughs> like you said, just saying like, hey, like you know, I really care about you. And I've noticed some things that really made me want to ask you, mm-hmm. have you experienced anything or do you remember when mm-hmm. you started having these outbursts and was it a way that you made yourself feel safe? Is that, you know, is that the way that you protected yourself? Mm-hmm. I'm just interested because I, I care about you and I want to understand you better. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be judgmental when these things happen. I'm asking because I care. And sometimes people need to know that we're asking because we care and not because we want to be judgmental. Right. Right. Okay. Thank you. Good advice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What are some signs to look for? I think we, did we already talk about this at the beginning? What are some signs to look for um, in individuals who may have or may be experiencing trauma? I don't know if we addressed it already. We may have, but we can do a little, little recap. Okay, we talked about some of them. So okay. we talked about irritability, anger, and other negative emotions. 
mm-hmm. flashbacks to the traumatic event. Um, if they talk about any distressing dreams, like sometimes people, when you say, girl, I had a bad dream last night, maybe really listen to that. Mm-hmm. Having sleep problems, insomnia, waking up, having a hard time falling asleep, having self-blame regarding the events or constantly beating themselves up. That's a core belief that developed from somewhere. Uh, or if they're constantly avoiding certain things. Um, if you notice that they're really scared of certain people or going certain places. So that could be them avoiding trauma reminders or memories. And then if they're startled easily, okay. right? Being like these exaggerated reactions. Like I know I used to get made fun of in high school. They was like, Brittany can't ever sit still. Like she got like a nervous tick. And I used to like say that I had Tourette's, which I would laugh along because I knew that I didn't. Yeah. But now at 32, I know that was trauma, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't sit still. My body was always jerking and twitching. Like uh, I had awkward movements. And some of them I love because they make me really animated now. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a part of my personality. But some of it was like trauma just jumping out of my skin. Mm-hmm. If you see something, say something. Yeah. And I think as a culture, as Black people, we are conditioned to not acknowledge and turn a blind eye when we see somebody struggling. Like sometimes something in us is kicking up, but we're like, oh, we're just going to ignore that. Or we're going to do a little nervous laugh and move on. But if you see it, say something. Yeah. Even if that's pulling them aside or having some time with them. Yeah. That can foster a place in the Black community that we haven't always been able to foster. Yeah. Yeah. That's like when I see someone out um, in public, um, if, you know, they may be like down and out or, you know, they're homeless or something's going on with them. And I still remember this one instance. I It was this lady and you could tell something was something was wrong. Like she was having some type of um, mental episode. And these people that were around me, they were like laughing at the lady. And I, for me, I, I, I just can't bring myself to laugh at someone that's in that particular situation because you don't know what type of trauma this person has experienced to get to this place. And I think like the person saw the look on my face and they immediately stopped laughing because, you know, you know, that's not a laughing matter because you don't know how this woman was hurt, what she's been through, if she was abused or anything like that. So like you said, when you see someone that maybe exemplifying those signs, like speak up, say something, do something. Yes. You don't know. You never know how people got there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that doesn't mean you got to go kick it with the lady in the street that's talking to herself, right? But you definitely don't need to to poke fun at her because we all, one more pandemic away. I'm here to tell you, one more, you know, listen, another strain of coronavirus show up, a new strain. Listen. Another term of Trump being president, and I might just be with sis. Listen, just speaking of, this man said, suggested was like, he need another 12, they might as well vote him for another 12 years in office. Now, sir, my good sir, now you know that's not happening. 12, he 12, 12 weeks and he need to get up out of 12 weeks, you, you, you need to be, you know what, you need to be packing your bags right now. Just go ahead and get your stuff together, gather your belongings. Do Let's get ready to get out of here. Do your little fake hair piece. Go ahead and put it back in the box. <laughs> Listen, cause Melania, she 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 about ready to come up out of that thing too. Like, <laughs> oh, she ready to go. <laughs> Listen, 
Just be like, don't even hold my hand. <laughs> Listen, I crack up every time I see her swipe his hand away or she snap, she snatch her hand back. Melania's like, I ain't got no parts to you. I ain't trying to deal with you. And I and sometimes when I see her, I honestly do feel bad for her because I feel like she's trapped. Like, yes. she, like she wants out. You can just tell in her demeanor and how, you know, she looks sometimes like she wants out. Like she's miserable. Mm-hmm. She was like, I don't know her marry a rich man. Yeah. I didn't want all of this. Listen, you, you were rich and came with drama. A lot of it. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, the things that he says, like, you know, I, and I don't blame her because who wants to be associated with a person who's always spilling hate out of their mouth mm-hmm. all the time? So, yeah, I definitely, you know, I don't blame her the way she treats him. So <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think you just addressed this already. Uh, what can people do to get others to open up about their trauma and not shut down when it's brought up? So I think we just talked about that, just being gentle with the person and not just like jumping down their throat and asking them, well, why are you acting like that? Why? And that's another thing too, like if someone's not, hopefully they will get to the point one day that they want to talk about their trauma, but not just trying to force them to do it. Like, you know, why you want to talk about it? Let's talk about it right now. And that's going to make the person shut down even more, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And when we leave with the you, mm-hmm. you've been doing this. Like, if you think about it, if somebody say you, Mm-hmm. And they start off like you did so and so and so. If somebody already has trauma, bam, guard already up. Because mm-hmm. I know I got to protect myself from any and everything. So if you start blaming me and start off with you, I'm going to shut down. Yeah. It has to be, I feel X, Y, and Z when this happens. Like, help me understand that. Mm-hmm. We really have to acknowledge when we are connected to, to somebody with trauma. Mm-hmm. our own feelings about it mm-hmm. right what is that kicking up in me what do I feel about it and I'm gonna leave with that I'm gonna leave with what I feel because I have nothing to do with them that's how we really connect okay. and then they're, they're nine times out of ten they're going to be more vulnerable depending on where they're at yeah yeah that's good some good advice so y'all don't be don't be jumping down people's throats you know <laughs> trying to get stuff out of them like you know get you know take your time ease your way into the conversation and like Brittany said don't lead with you say I I feel <laughs> and the lady I'm saying <laughs> as a wife too don't yeah. you know, go with your man talking about you didn't do this or you need to be doing this or you should be doing this I learned that a long not a long time ago maybe two years ago <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my husband does not respond to that. Yeah, yeah. My therapist had to be like, so do you like when people talk to you like that? I was like, oh, sis, now, no, I don't actually. So it's just we never really, especially the closer you are to that person, the more blind you are to your own behavior. You know what I'm saying? Or your own reactions or their trauma. You just don't, the more you love that person, the harder it is for you to see Mm -hmm. what they may have been through. It's good. And I want to reiterate something from the last episode. Guys, we can't stress this enough. Please, 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 a hundred thousand times, go get therapy. Like we we can't stress that enough. Please go get therapy. I was just talking to someone the other day and they were saying that um they know of someone who is like um they're kind of, they're like really depressive kind of at that one stage mm-hmm. right now. And they're, and I was, you know, telling them, Hey, you tell, tell this person, go get therapy. Like, please go tell them. And they were saying the person 
the guy don't doesn't really want to go do it because he's afraid of being judged by people. He's afraid of what people are going to say, how they're going to look at him. They're going to make fun of him. So it's now it's this e- like an ego thing. Like, listen, it's life or death. It's life you, or death. You gonna have, you gonna you gonna choose what somebody else's opinion. You are gonna choose life. That's that's the way I look at it. You choose the opinion. You choose life. And I will hope that you choose life because um, no one's opinion. And I'm that's not to say a people's opinion may not affect you, but I will hope that you wouldn't let someone's opinion hold so much weight in your life that they will prevent you from getting help. Yes. And when you say life or death, I'm thinking like. Not even, it could be death, right? Because mm-hmm. the things that we hold in can literally kill us, can cause physical ailments, cause us to cope negatively, it can cause suicidal thoughts or attempts. But death, like, there's a whole part of you that's untapped and you cannot tap into it until you heal. I think yeah. there's a God-given reason why my trauma came to a complete head mm-hmm. before I finished grad school, before I finished my master's in counseling. Because mm-hmm. had I gone into therapy, with this, all these unresolved issues, oh my God, I would be a terrible therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God, I was blind. Yeah. I was so ignorant to my own, my own ways. I couldn't see it. Yeah. There's so much life to live, but we can't live it if we don't acknowledge what we're going through and, and heal it. Yeah. And I like the point that you make that it doesn't, it it is not it doesn't necessarily have to be physical death. It is death to your goals, death to your dreams. Like it's something inside of you that someone is waiting for you to do. And if you're if you're like dead, not physically, but you're dead inside because you haven't healed from whatever the trauma is that you've experienced. Now you know someone in I'm not gonna use Africa. We always use that country. I'm gonna say. Jamaica or Dominican Republic, like somebody in one of those countries. Brittany, please stop laughing. I was just like, you know, we always want to use Africa for example. Why do we like? Come on, we want to go back so bad. Listen, as big as this country is, let me use another example. I mean, not just country, but as big as this world is, let me use another example. But um, Jamaica, Dominican Republic, like it's probably something that you can invent, invent that's gonna help them. But if you down and out. Shoot, this person probably waiting on the irrigation system for clean water, and you probably the one that's going to develop the exact one that they need over there in the Dominican Republic or Jamaica. Yeah. But they can't get it because they're waiting on you. So mm-hmm. don't don't let your dreams die. And what it, Dr. Miles Monroe was famous for saying, uh, the richest place on earth is the graveyard. Mm. But you have people who die with books businesses, schools, all these ideas, they took them to the grave with them because it, it never manifested. Wow. They never acted on them. So it's just like, don't get therapy. Get get therapy. Please get therapy. Like I said, someone is waiting on your gifts. Someone is waiting on your talents. And you, I want you to show up for yourself. Like if you had to take time to go get therapy and he'll do that. If people don't understand, you doing this for you. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, you're going to make yourself sick. So mm-hmm. that's my spiel. I, I, I'm stepping off, off off my soapbox now. So <laughs> we are passionate about this. I am. Yes. I am. My great-grandchildren are waiting on me. Mm, yeah. 
right? And I probably, I think I said this last episode, but in the marriage ministry at church, he said we impact four generations, us, our kids, our grandkids, and our great-grandchildren. Every decision Jordan and I make, it's going to filter down to our great-grandchildren. If I don't show up or be my best self or speak up or do something or change or heal, I'm affecting my Mm great-grandchildren. That's generational trauma, but that's also generational healing. Just like our DNA can change, epigenetics can change how we respond to things and we can pass down trauma, we can also pass down healing. Like we forget that. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned about uh, church. That just made me think, okay, y'all, I ain't for the preach y'all, but I'm gonna say this real quick. It's like, <laughs> listen, just like in the Bible when David paid full price for the ground that Solomon built the temple on, David didn't get to see it. He paid full price up for it, though, though. And later on down the line, his son Solomon built the temple on his ashes, basically. So David didn't see it, but Solomon built it. So it's just like with us. We might not, we, God has us starting whatever it is, the dreams and stuff that he's put inside of us. He's having us start them. We might not see it come to fruition completely. We may see it start, but we may not see it spin, it's finished in, but it starts with us. Mm-hmm. And it, like you said, it's for the future generations. Okay, I'm done. I told y'all I wasn't going to preach. It was going to be quick. <laughs> right there. You better connect it back to the biblical <laughs> principles. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, well, guys, I hope that we were able to share some things with you all today that really will help you, um, I guess, in your mental health journey. And that, um, like I said, for the 15th time, if you need therapy, so please, please, please go get it. Um, if you're looking for a great therapist, Miss Brittany Taylor, <laughs> you can hit her up. Okay, I don't want to mess up your Instagram name, so I'm going to let you let them let you tell them what your Instagram name is again. Again, you can find me all on all platforms. Instagram is Brit B R I T underscore Taylor eighty eight. <laughs> okay, first of all, I'm not you, Squid. I need for you to know what's your. <laughs> yes, Brit underscore Taylor eighty eight, and I was going to say too if anybody had any questions or follow-ups or ideas or things that you want us to talk about message jess yes message the rundown about jess message me like i want to start maybe i don't want to call them listener letters because my favorite podcast the read calls them listener letters we might have to think of something else but Mm-hmm. They have people emailing questions or examples or things and they read them on the show and kind of talk about them. They have a specific portion for that. I think that that would be good. You know, it's funny because I was thinking about this over the weekend. No, I, I'm listen. not about to play with that. No, listen, <laughs> uh, we ain't got time today. Listen, <laughs> but no, I, I seriously, I've been thinking about this uh, since over the weekend because um, I was like, I don't know if it's, you will have like your, you will have like a segment at the end, but like, I don't know, call it Britney's therapy corner or something like that. I don't know. We'll figure out the de- t- details, but you know, they can cut, yeah. like I said, huh? Oh, no, what you going to say? Also, like you said, they can send in their letters, their their questions. So, guys, before I forget really quick, if you do, you can message them to Brittany or you can email the rundown with Jess at gmail.com. Again, that's the rundown with Jess at gmail.com. And we will answer your questions or your letters or whatever the case may be. We'll ask them on the following episode. I'm so excited. I am too. 
Well, um, I guess since you brought the quote last week, I have a quote. Um, I don't know if the word, I don't know what, I'm not going to say admire, but I, I you know, I, well, no, I am going to say I admire this man's work ethic and how he just changed the um, technology field. So I have a quote by Steve Jobs, and he says that if you are working on something that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. So, listen, if it's something you really care about, ain't nobody going to have to light a fire under you. You're going to go after it, full force. You're going to run after it. You, know, you might not have everything you need, but use what you get. So, that's my quote for Yes. I love that. <laughs> yes. So, do you have any parting remarks? No, I think I was turned up. I think I said a lot. Okay, I'm yeah, I, really I got this on my chest. <laughs> listen, listen, we 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 came in with a lot of stuff today, so we just had to unload. <laughs> Justice for our our brother Jacob, yeah. man. Yeah, this swiftly, not not taking forever, years. Not Breonna Taylor justice. We still owe man. that man. Still waiting on it. Still waiting. So. um I'm hope I'm I'm hopeful that soon we will get some type of justice. Definitely for her family for sure. And, you know, his family. Like I'm praying that he pulls through, but you know, just, you know, prayers to his boys and anyone out there that was there to experience that. So but yeah, well guys, we will Thank catch you, you on the next episode. And I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm.